Welcome back, listeners. I'm Rainy. I'm Amaya. And this is Freedom Unshackled, the podcast. Now, for this season of Freedom Unshackled, Rainy and I are about to give you a little informational tidbit rundown of everything that we're going to be talking about. We will be getting into more interviews. We have a couple of people that we are so excited to interview lined up. But for now, we're going to let you know about the subject, which is working while incarcerated. There is a whole industry around people working who... They're just like profiting off of... People who are incarcerated. Yeah. So what we have gathered, we have, we'll drop different links um, to the information that we've gathered throughout these couple of weeks and different um, documentaries and books that would be great for the listeners to check out after these informational, this little informational um, tidbit of a podcast. Um just to get a little bit more background knowledge on what the people that we are going to be interviewing in the future are going to be talking about. So let's get right into that on that note. So what we want to say is people who are incarcerated go to work making everyday items we use outside of prison, such as beds, mattresses, office school supplies, highway signs, license plates, and so much more. There are different companies across the states that people in prison are working for, but we are going to highlight a company called Corecraft. It's the brand name for the Division of Correctional Industries. Pennsylvania also has one, um, PCI, Pennsylvania Correctional Industries, and Massachusetts has MassCore. Um, If you check out their websites, the main theme is helping incarcerated individuals with life skills and preparing them for release, but... The way Corecraft describes it on their website is industries uses the manufacturing of products to assist in the department's overall mission to prepare incarcerated individuals to release through for release through skill development, work ethic, respect and responsibility, which might be believable if they actually pay the people that are doing hard work every day, day in and out, day in and day out livable wages. But and setting them up with jobs within the field that they are working in while incarcerated, but they don't. Corecraft is a $50 million industry and that, pay, that pays incarcerated individuals as little as 16 cents an hour. Um, prison labor is slave labor, and there's no if, ands, or buts about that. The 13th Amendment states. Want to state that for me, Amaya? Yeah, let's see. So the 13th Amendment, and I quote, it says, Neither slavery nor involuntary servitude except as a punishment for crime, whereof the party shall have been duly convicted, shall exist within the United States or any place subject to their jurisdiction. But you see, the except is the loophole that the prison system uses to justify forcing people to work for next to nothing. Minimum wage is a thing, just not when we're talking about incarcerated individuals, I guess. Slavery was the South's main source of production and income, and then after the Civil War, we were taught that the South's Economy was destroyed. The except in the 13th Amendment kicked in shortly after slaves were emancipated by law enforcement and citizens accusing and charging people of color with crimes, guilty or not. Um, and for after, right, like after the Civil War, like we think that, you know, oh, that's so long ago, the Civil War, like they were wearing like tweed coats and using muskets and gunpowder. But we are not so far removed from 
those times. This cycle is still continuing to this day, just different throughout throughout history, just in different forms. Especially like the Haitian immigrants in the news today. I'm like, we think slavery is so far away, but it's in every corner you turn in every state. There's prisons, there's people not letting refugees in the border and treating them like in the most inhumane way. And I feel Whipping like- Whipping them. Yeah, so I feel like it just, we think it's gone. It's but really history- off. Is repeating itself. Is repeating itself, thank you. So, you know, there's slavery. And then after slavery, we have, oh, they teach us, oh, the Civil War happened, and then Martin Luther King came around, and then racism ended. But after slavery, there was lynching mobs of neighbors and citizens that would sit there and accuse black people of crimes, whether they were guilty or not, uh, and, you know, would gather as a form of... I don't know, entertainment for lynching mobs. Um, then after that, there's segregation and Jim Crow laws still prohibiting black people from voting rights, from um, redlining them into neighborhoods. And that would, you know, that comes down to um, schooling and job opportunities. Um, and then Reagan comes around and decides to throw in drugs. He's like, after they get redlined into certain neighborhoods and, you know, pocket it off into these little corners to be forgotten about, Reagan's like, you know what? Let, let's, let's take, let's throw drugs into these neighborhoods. That is, that is one way that we're, yep, that's, that's another way. And then, and then on top of that, we're going to go throw more police officers. We're going to go get those boys in blue to go up into those neighborhoods that we sectioned off all of these black people into. And we're going to completely override and over-police all of these people that are just trying to make a living and take care of their families. And then we're going to implement a three-strike rule. So you get, you get three strikes, you get one, two, three, and then you're out, you're taken away from your family and you are now state property. And then after, and then being state property, then we're talking about the privatization of prisons. There, after in the eighties, the privatization of prisons became very popular, but um, that, was the privatization of the prisons was actually right after the civil war the the mass the rise of mass incarceration started during the civil rights and it's still continuing but the start of what the prison system that we see today happened immediately after the civil war slave masters they turned plantations that they didn't even, they, you know what? They didn't even try to change the, they didn't even change the name of these plantations. They, they called these plantations in prisons. They were factory-like prisons for convicts to just continue slave labor. They were picking cotton and mining coal. And they, they didn't change the name. They didn't change anything about it. But what they made it was, okay, now, now you're free. People that were enslaved, okay, you're free now, but you know, we're gonna have 
little Johnny over here, your neighbor, I don't know, cry wolf. And now you're a convict. There's no fair trial. And you're state property again. And you're right back to picking cotton. Um, and today, nowadays, 2021, going on 2022, they call these jobs today in 2021, almost 2022, they call what that labor is in prison, that prison labor, they call these vocational or industrial programs. And they require people who are serving time to participate. Not, that is not, that is it's not an option. You're required to take these programs or else you could be, you could face punishment if you don't take these required programs. There's, there's, Ronnie was telling Rainey and I about different tiers when you're incarcerated at a state level. And if you don't want to participate in whatever they feel is fit for you, you get knocked down a tier and there's, there's different privileges that you get and they, they get stripped away from you if you don't follow the rules as said. And the issue is these people that are incarcerated are required to do these programs that, you know, Corecraft, the state of New York's Corecraft, would like to call, um, what did they call that? They said that it um, assist the department's overall mission to help them with release through skill development upon, upon release. Yeah, the, the department, yeah, exactly. It helps the state. These people are considered state property. You could be assigned a job working as a groundskeeper outside doing yard work for the, for the grounds of your correctional facility. And you could be out there t working too hard and too long and get a sunburn. And if you damage your skin, you could get punished because you damage state property. That is no longer your skin. You're no longer an individual. You are the number that's on the back of that uniform that was handed to you the day that you were convicted. You are state property and you are making things that people, these big corporations are making billions off of. $50 million Corecraft makes annually to be paying people that are doing this work 16 cents at that as soon as you as soon as you are convicted of a crime you are considered it's what did, what do they call black people when they were like three-fourths of a human yeah something like that yeah. three-fourths of a human yeah. yeah they called black people three-fourths of a human and when you look at how they pe treat people that are incarcerated it goes right back to that right back to that you are considered three-fourths of a human and the crazy part about crazy part about being black while incarcerated is that we are already at a disadvantage outside of prison 
like I said, when it comes to like all of the, all of the systemic racism that every single one percenter and politician decided to implement against all people of color and poor people. Um, when you are in prison, it is only heightened. White people are actually more likely to get admin jobs, which are higher paying and less labor and indoors than black people who are getting paid less to do more labor and harder work. With that being said, the issue is not trying, is the issue isn't getting people to work while they're incarcerated. It is the fact that you make them work, you don't give them an option, and then you don't compensate them. You exploit the people to make billions. There is no correction or rehabilitation in this equation, just, a pro just profit and exploitation. For generations, we've had an entire system that targets and locks up minorities and poor people. Once you've, con you've you're a convicted felon, you can no longer vote to potentially change laws that have personally affected your life. But guess who can? Who can? Big corporations that profit off the people making their products for free while incarcerated. An organization called ALEC, American Legislative Exchange Council, gives lawmakers insight that will benefit corporate stakeholders by making it harder for disadvantaged and marginalized groups to vote. So not only can the people who actually, who actually experience these hardships vote to change laws, the corporations make it so that even the families of people who are who are and were incarcerated can't vote against them. People in prison are working for billion dollar corporations that we use on a daily basis like McDonald's, Walmart, America Airlines, and so much more. Um, they aren't allowed to form unions or are protected by any laws that require a minimum wage. There are people out there fighting forest fires in California, putting their lives on the line, using their bodies day in and day out, lifting heavy machinery, painting entire facilities by hand, working with deadly chemicals in facilities that aren't even equipped for that kind of work. And if they get injured on the job, there's no workers' comp because they are property of the state they are working for. They're just like another machine to the higher-up people. Right. Um, and the same exact companies that exploit people in prison for their labor are the same companies that wouldn't even hire these people for a livable, livable wage once they're out. At American Airlines, maintenance technicians and mechanics can be making $23 to $53 an hour, while someone who is incarcerated could be doing the exact same work making plane parts and be making $1 an hour at most. And that's very generous. Not a lot. And incarcerated people will see a dollar, maybe like 13 cents, 30 cents, but a dollar be like really good. Mm-hmm. There's no justifying this treatment because one, because they, these are human beings before anything else. They're not state property. They're not slaves. They're not workers. They're humans with lives and families outside of, this of these prison walls. And they deserve to get compensated for their hard, hard work. And also, we're not gonna sit here and act like 
America has this like well-oiled machine of a justice system. It is way too biased and prejudiced to be having any exceptions to slavery or forced labor. Like, what are you talking about 13th Amendment? Like, oh, slavery isn't allowed. Forced labor isn't allowed. Except, except what? In no scenario should someone be forced to perform labor for this state. That is, that is literally, that is just a, a lazy loophole to continue making billions while to continue to have an outcome of billions while having an income of uh, 16 cents. Um, but even on that, at a, that's only, uh, we're talking about at a state level, Rainey mentioned that getting a dollar is a come up because people are, are used to getting cents. When you're at a city or a county level, you get no pay whatsoever. You only get like the chump change. Once you're convicted of a crime that requires state time, then it's then that's where companies like Corecraft and MassCore come into play. Once your sentence is final, you're now state property and obli- ob- obligated to work for the state for next to nothing. Not only are black people disproportionately placed in jails and prisons, once they are incarcerated, they are also getting not getting equal pay opportunities for programs in the system. Um, Rainey mentioned that um, people are working for these billion-dollar companies, you know, that we use on a daily basis, and they're lifting heavy machinery, they're using their whole bodies, they're painting, they're putting out fires. There's people out here that are incarcerated that their job, their program that they get assigned to is to put out a forest fire? Well, during the beginning of the the COVID-19 pandemic, Cuomo, he put out a tweet saying, Rainey, read Governor Cuomo's tweet that he put out. This is from uh, former Governor Cuomo of New York. He said, also, we're all struggling with this pandemic. Everybody in the world, like, I can't imagine how people behind prison walls were having to deal with this when mm-hmm. everyone was complaining that they were in quarantine for three months in their luxurious homes. So right without the anxiety of the pandemic on top of that. Okay. So this is the quote from former governor Cuomo of New York. We're hearing from local governments that acquire that are that acquiring hand sanitizer has been a real problem. And New York state will immediately begin producing hand sanitizer ourselves a hundred thousand gallons per week. We'll provide it to the government agencies, schools, the MTA, prisons, and others. Hashtag COVID-19. Huh? New York State will be producing this hand sanitizer, or is it the human beings that you consider state property that are making those 100,000 gallons of hand sanitizer a week? In Albion Correctional Facility, had women making hand sanitizer with no official training or preparation, so they brought the fire department in to be on standby just in case. Um, so you're purposely putting these incarcerated individuals with flammable and dangerous materials and alcohol, which is the main ingredient that is contraband in these facilities, but willing to willing to risk it so that we can have uh, hand sanitizer at a cheap rate, basically, even though they're not allowed to be near any of these things technically. Under mm-hmm. He did mention in one of his press conferences that 
let's see, he said, Corecraft actually is making it for the state. Corecraft makes glass cleaner, floor cleaner, degreaser, laundry detergent, vehicle fluids, hand cleaner, and now they're making hand sanitizer with alcohol. And like Rainey just said, that's so crazy that you have people that are incarcerated out here making hand sanitizer, which he was bragging about how it it's um, better than, um, what's, what's that popular? Um, Germex? Germex, yeah. yeah. Either Purell or Germex. Oh. Purell. I'm going to say Purell. Purell might be Germex, yeah. to be honest. Maybe, yeah. You know what? All these corporations, they're all fall under the same Million thing. Million dollar you know, company. Literally. You know what we mean. Whatever. You know what we mean. Either way, they're not get, they're not paying us for no advertisements. So Even though, Purell, Germex, whatever. Either and way. But that pandemic hand sandy uh, smelled like tequila. So I'm yes, not, right, I'm, not I'm like, what kind of alcohol are you putting up in here? You got Casamigos up in this hand sanitizer? Yeah. But he's over here saying, oh, we have this much more percentage of alcohol in these hand sanitizers. And like Rainy just said, it is literally listed, alcohol is literally listed in the DOCC's handbook for visitors as something that they cannot bring into any facility. That is literally listed as contraband. And they turned the, all of a sudden, a place that alcohol is listed as contraband can turn into a facility or a manufacturer that's busting out 100,000 bottles a week. That's crazy. One, like it, and the the precautions that they took to reduce the spread of COVID nineteen in correctional facilities was very um, minimal because they were focused on product pushing. That's all they were worried about. They weren't they weren't worried about people's health while incarcerated. They were worried about okay, how can we profit? off of this pandemic while having all of these people in here. So you guys are going to meet our family member, our beautiful cousin, Reason. He is going to speak about his time being incarcerated in, in um, Massachusetts and what it was like working in that. And he definitely will touch upon um, issues revolving around COVID. Um, but let's see, what else, what else did uh, Cuomo say? Read right here what Cuomo said. He said in a, um, in a different briefing. He quote, said, the hand sanitizer will be made available to residents free of charge and the distribution will be prioritized by the most impacted and high-risk communities. End quote. As if people confined in small overpopulated correctional facilities aren't at high risk. He literally, he's, he's saying that, oh, we're going to give all this hand sanitizer out for free to all of these impoverished neighborhoods because we care so much about the state of New York. And like an uh, impacted at the expense at the expense of an impacted community. It just it just goes back to our point of like freedom unshackled as a coalition that people who are incarcerated are a forgotten population. As soon as you're incarcerated, that is what they're talking about when they lock you up and they throw away the key. You are now state property and you're not an issue that anyone needs to worry about anymore. When it comes down to a pandemic, they could care less if you have a hand sanitizer, mask, cleaning products, and proper socially distancing. What they care about is you making hand sanny to go give out to other impacted groups as if you aren't a part of one. Throughout the country, 
there has been, let's see, there has been talk of raising the um, weight, the pay wage for people who are incarcerated to $3 an hour in the state of New York in the Minimum Wage Act. But that bill, it unfortunately failed to pass. But there is some hope because in states like, let's see, Alaska, you people who are incarcerated make $4.90. Um, people in Kansas make $3. In Maine, bordering state to New Hampshire, they make $3.50. And Nevada, they make $5.15. Keep in mind, this is an average of all, like, all the prisons in Alaska and Kansas and Maine, not... That's not like a given that you'll make that much money, but in average. Yeah, that's on average. Um, so there, there are, there is hope. And if people like you keep listening and these voices still keep getting heard, then there, we can make a change. So basically the main reason for this whole entire podcast and this whole, whole coalition is just to amplify voices that aren't heard on a daily basis. I feel like people... The whole prison system is the forgotten population and we don't talk about it enough in, in the media or in general. So stay tuned for our next couple of podcasts where we give voices to the people that are not heard. And our next um, guest will be our cousin Reason, as a man mentioned. And thank you for listening to Freedom, Freedom Unshackled, Unshackled, the podcast. podcast.